Now, with this in mind, I wanted to take this opportunity this morning to talk about where we are as individuals, especially in our strength and in our relationships. Because while we miss the fellowship and the experiences of uh, all being together on a Sunday morning service, when you boil it down, it's only an hour and a half a week. And if I'm honest, at that time, I I only get to fellowship with about four people max. Now, I see people, I greet, and I interact with a whole lot more people than that, I understand. But, But I'm talking about having real conversations, real fellowship. See, that's limited in the, in the big church environment. So I want to talk about real fellowship this morning, what it is, what it's for, and why we need it. See, fellowships help you face life's problems by providing support and encouragement from fellow disciples. The church is it's meant to be a place where we experience in-depth relationships and lifelong friendships are developed. But the fellowship I'm talking about isn't the fellowship you get at a Sunday morning service. The purpose of this message is to challenge you and me, to challenge all of us to develop deeper relationships within the church and by doing so, enhance your own spiritual and personal relationship with God. I've heard several people say how they miss meeting together and are even growing weaker because of the loss of our Sunday fellowship. However, I propose that if the bulk or the majority of my support and strength comes from that hour and a half on Sunday, then I'm actually missing out on one of the greatest blessings and helps that God offers us. The blessing and strength of fellowship. Not the fellowship of the crowd, but the fellowship of the few. Now, the meaning of the term fellowship is simple. It comes from a Greek word, koinonia, and it means an association, a community, or a communion, joint participation, unity of thought and purpose. Koinonia, it has been said, is intimacy lived out. And this is what we need in our lives. It's vital. Healthy fellowship meets our need for strength and support. We all know what it's like when you're out there in the world, right? You're out there in your work or school or whatever, and you got your convictions, but then you start feeling like you're all alone. Like you're the only one at work or school who doesn't cheat and steal and lie. Or maybe it's your kids are telling, well, everybody else is going to the party, right? Everybody else is going to see that movie. Why can't I? And it's so encouraging and refreshing when you get to fellowship with someone who shares your commitments, shares your moral standards. We need this. We need the fellowship of the few. Now, I'm going to read a few passages, and I want you to hear them and and think of them outside the context of meeting together on a Sunday morning. I want you to, to think about how we can fulfill the principles and directives given if we couldn't meet together every Sunday, well, like it's been for the past four months. Now, these are very familiar very familiar passages to us. In John chapter 13, 34 and 35, this is Jesus talking. And he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. When Jesus said this to his disciples, he wasn't thinking about a worship service. 
He wasn't thinking about a fellowship of hundreds or even about those 12 listening. It was a a general principle that he was laying out. The principle that love for one another, the expression of care and affection, that that was going to be the defining mark of who was and who was not a disciple of Jesus. Too many put importance on the size of their church or the quality of their church service, the the number of people that attend on a Sunday morning or the, the size and design or the grandeur of their building, the level of professionalism in the musicians of the worship team as if to say, hey, look, look, look at my church, right? We must be better. We must be right. Everything must be going awesome. Look how many people are here. Uh, look how awesome our worship is. Now, Not to sound like a bitter pastor uh, from a church of 200 who wishes it was a church of 2,000. I'm all for big churches. I'm all for big crowds. If that means more people are true disciples of Jesus. But the litmus test of disciples of Jesus, what, what identifies them and marks them as true disciples of Jesus, is their love for one another. And it's a love that can be seen and identified. Let's look at another passage. This was from Paul to a church in the city of Colossae. It's in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. It's a little longer. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them, binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, the challenge of this verse, especially when you get down to that part that says, uh, uh, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. When you get to that part, the challenge is is that we uh, automatically associate this with a church service, you know, because that's that's where we actually sing, right? I mean, we might do it at a devotional, but but that's where we do this. But the idea that Paul is talking about a church service here, it's not found anywhere in the context. Even though he is talking to a congregation, there's no evidence of any church in that era having church buildings or a central place of worship. They didn't have that for the first 300 years of the church. So all these things that Paul talked about, all these things were done in small groups. And if Colossae was like any other church, their meetings and their primary fellowship was limited to the size of someone's home. And all the things Paul called them to, to be compassionate and show kindness and to reflect humility, gentleness, and patience, to to bear with one another and to forgive one another and teach and admonish one another. All of this was to be done in small groups or even in pairs because that's all they had. 
Now, this last passage, that's going to be the most challenging for many of us because we've used it for so long to emphasize the wrong thing. This comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, which says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I want to read this passage again, but I want to read it from another version, one that, that Miss Phyllis shared with me. It's called the Passion Translation, which, okay, technically it's really not a translation. It's an interpretation uh, of what the text says, but it does capture the heart and principle of this passage very well. This is how it reads. So now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and to neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and, and, and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. Now, for years, this passage has been used to encourage and inspire, and if we're honest, to even guilt people into attending church-organized services or functions. Anything that was deemed a meeting of the body. And while the principle could certainly be applied, if you just limited it to that, that would miss the deeper meaning of this passage. You see, the book of Hebrews was not written to a church or, or to a congregation. And this passage was not written to get people to attend church services or church meetings, uh, 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 Zoom meetings or uh, picnics or softball games or parties or confer conferences or anything like that. Hebrews was written to disciples of Jesus who were from all over, not one area, but all over, who were from a Jewish heritage. And it was to confirm and encourage to them that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. See, it seems some may have begun to doubt this because Jesus didn't establish a physically renewed nation of Israel like they had always been taught that the Messiah was going to do. And then there was also the Judaizer false teachers traveling around, throwing people into confusion, uh, teaching them that Gentiles had to become Jewish first, then they could accept Jesus as the Messiah, and then after that they could become a Christian. So the intention never considered specific meetings of the body like a church service. What it was addressing was the need to have deep fellowship among individuals of faith. When Hebrews said to not give up meeting together, it wasn't talking about church services. It was talking about getting with other disciples for support for one another, to, to care for one another, to encourage one another, and, and, and to love one another, and, and help encourage each other to righteousness and perseverance and faith. Now let me reiterate, I, I want to be clear, I'm not anti-worship service. I'm not against getting together and having churches and filling this room back up with people. I love doing that. I can't wait till we get back to it. What I'm trying to say 
is that we're not created to get the level of fellowship and relationship we need to grow, to, to persevere and thrive. We're not designed to get that from the crowd. For that, we need a few strong, faithful, and reliable brothers and sisters. And we, every one of us as individuals, we've got to go after this. It's there. It's available for everyone, for, for those who seek it out and work for it. According to Psychology Today, data from a, a brand new study of adults aging uh, ages from like 30 to 70 or so makes it clear that the number of close friends that we need to feel uh, comfortable, to feel like we have enough, is somewhere between three and five. And I'd put that number of people that we would need to have maybe best friends or intimate friends. When contemporary researchers uh, qualify friendship, when they talk about trying to define it, friendship types, they usually come up with around three to four levels of friendship depth. These uh, are from the most shallow, being acquaintances, and then going a little deeper, you have casual friends. And from there, you go even a little deeper, develop close friends, and ultimately, we dive in with all of our hearts, and we grow intimate or best friends. Now, I want to look at each of these levels and look at them as individuals and think through the principles that the Holy Spirit laid out in those three passages that we just read in John, Colossians, and Hebrews. And I want to think about how we can apply those principles at each level of relationships. And we start off with acquaintances. They're the people that we see, you know, on a fairly regular basis. And we, you know, it's the kind of people you say, yeah, I kind of know them. Not real well, but I know them. We, I know them well enough to have idle, small talk, chit-chat, things like that. But we don't really have an emotional attachment or connection. Uh, we don't feel comfortable or safe to go real deep with them. In that type of relationship, your ability to apply the spiritual principles of Jesus, Paul, or the Hebrew writer is obviously limited with this group because the relationships we share aren't that deep, and it's usually those that we share it with, we don't share the same convictions. Yet from that group, we usually find those whom we move on to call casual friends. Now, casual friends uh, are typically those with whom we spend time with in shared activities. You know, you're, you're, you're cross paths on a very regular basis. And you feel you got to know them, you know, and you feel comfortable saying, okay, yeah, they're my friends. These are people you may work with or share in a club with or an organization uh, or go to school with. You have a laugh with them during the meetings, right? Or you might even go hang out after class, I don't know. But these are the relationships that you probably wouldn't have if you didn't work with them or go to school with them or share in a particular interest. You see, these relationships usually are built on a foundation of a shared activity or responsibility. And if it doesn't go any deeper than that, then once that foundation is removed or changed, then usually the relationship ends. But if you do go deeper, then you go on to the next level of relationship, and that's close friends. Now, these pretty much always start out as acquaintances who turn into casual friends and whom you have enough of an affinity for that you, 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 know, you share a little bit more about yourself, you start to open up a little bit, you know, they share a little bit more about themselves, and you continue to grow, you get, you get to know one another, you're enjoying it, and you're spending time together. And then naturally over time, your relationship grows deeper and deeper. 
And this type, this, that type of relationship, it can only come with time and shared experiences. Now, close friends can grow to the ones that, that, that these, are, these are the people you call on when life is so hard. You know, you just want to cry, you just want to hide, you just want to sequester yourself or run away. Close friends are those you can trust with many of your secrets. And the friends you, maybe they're the ones who will put up with you even when you're in a lousy mood or you want to talk at 2 a.m., you know, when your life is blowing wide open. Now, they may not help you beyond listening, but they're great for being there for you and listening to you. But to get the real help, the, the real spiritual benefit of all of the things that Jesus and Paul and whoever wrote Hebrews talked about, you need best friends. Proverbs touched on this in Proverbs 18.24 where it says there's a friend who sticks closer to a brother. Now, obviously, this isn't true of all levels of friendship, but there are some levels that do match that definition. And best friend is one that does. These are the types of friends that we need, that three to five. Now, intimate friends are the most, they're the most intensely connected. These are the friends that you led into the inner sanctum of your heart and your mind, the one who you trust with the deepest secrets and thoughts. They're the ones that you know will never let you down or betray your trust, yet you also know and trust that they will do whatever they must to help you or to save you, even, even if they have to save you from yourself. They won't hold back from challenging you to be better. They, they, they won't challenge you to be like Jesus, to live as a disciple of Christ. They'll help you, support you, but they will not accept anything less from you than your very best for God. It is why this level of relationship is reserved for fellow disciples of Jesus. Because you can't get that deep. You won't get what you need from someone who doesn't share your same convictions about Jesus. Many form this type of friendship with their spouse, but it shouldn't be limited to this. One sister describes her close friends as her soul sisters. And her husband knew that when they got married, the soul sisters were going to be part of their family for the rest of their lives. See, everybody needs these types of friends. And those of us who are married, you should do whatever you can do to make sure your spouse has these types of relationships in their lives. Don't be jealous of them. Nurture them and help your spouse develop those. Because you can't get the type of blessings that this level of relationship provides from the big fellowship. It doesn't work that way. That's why many, uh, so many who call themselves Christians today feel so spiritually empty because all they have is the enthusiasm of the big church and they have no one. They don't even seek anyone to get deep with. And when the hard times hit, they might be able to turn to a close friend to talk to, someone to listen. But the challenge is that many of our close friends, they're going to be uh, often experiencing the same challenges and hurts and emotional entanglements that we're experiencing. They're missing the blessing of the deeper fellowship that's going to help guide them righteously through their trials. For that, you need that best friend. But we must not be arrogant and assume that we could never fall into that because it's an easy trap to fall into. 
And that's why I challenge all of us to think about where we are in our relationships. Who those relationships are on, on all levels, on acquaintances, on casual, on, on close friends, and on best friends. And as we do this, as we really look at our closest friends, ask ourselves, do they help me be more like Jesus? Do I help them be more like Jesus? These are the relationships, the fellowship that the word calls us to. It calls us to have it with one another, not everyone with everyone, that would be impossible, but with a few, a choice, select few, who become someone who is closer than a brother or a sister. We all need the fellowship of the few.